I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. You can find Fish Stripes wherever you use the internet, wherever you use social media, on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, etc. Search Fish Stripes and you'll find us there with different content offerings on each of those platforms. Wherever you're listening to this episode right now, this podcast, come back frequently to this podcast feed for all sorts of different audio coverage and analysis of the Marlins. Aside from the official show, we have Big Fish Small Pod on weekday mornings. We have Fish Stripes Unfiltered every other week. We have special podcasts in between, such as the What a Relief series, and much more here on Fish Stripes. Subscribe to us, rate and review wherever applicable to get everything that we offer at, at Fish Stripes, the entire package of reporting and analysis and opinions and historical perspectives much more check out fishstripes.com go to fishstripes.com for your off day enjoyments we'll get right into it my interview with mr marlin jeff conine this really happened and right off the top i need to give thanks to a fish stripes alum and a friend arm laden of just baseball for making this conversation possible what I wanted to talk about with Jeff, uh, of, co- of course, is Marlins playing career, one of the most productive players in Marlins franchise history, on a short list of figures in the Marlins organization that was part of both the 1997 and 2003 World Series championships. I wanted to talk to Jeff Conine, the father, the one who is a dad to Griffin Conine, current outfielder in the Marlins organization playing at AA Pensacola for these last couple of years in their relationship, how he views his role in Griff's career as he is working his way through the organization as a professional player of his own and somebody who aspires to very soon break through to the major leagues following in his father's footsteps. And lastly, Jeff Conine, the coach. He formally got into coaching just within the past year plus, and I wanted to see exactly what he did during that experience, get his feedback on some issues that the Marlins are dealing with, of course, at the major league level, where they could kind of be in need of some expert perspective from somebody who's been there before as a player. There were a couple particular things that I wanted his feedback on when it comes to young players, when it comes to hitting left-handed pitching, things he did very well, things I think he communicated fairly, fairly well if he were ever in a coaching position hypothetically with this Marlins organization. Lastly, we looked at what he wants to do next with his career. All he ever has known is baseball. He says it right here in our conversation, and he still has that energy and still has that desire to contribute to the baseball community. Take a listen. Enjoy. Here on the official show, my conversation with Marlins legend, Jeff Conine. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Eli Sussman here on the official show. Usually, this is where I would say that I'm being joined by a special guest, but that is such an understatement. It's Jeff frickin' Conine. There he is. He needs no introduction for you longtime Marlins fans. When Fishrice began doing podcasts on a consistent basis a few years ago, one of the objectives was to bring you conversations just like this with people who have been indispensable to the Marlins organization. Can't do any better than Mr. Marlin himself, the two-time World Series champ who played more than 1,000 games for the fish. We appreciate you coming on, Jeff. How's it going? Um, it's going great. My pleasure to be here, Eli. For people that aren't aware, you and my buddy Arm Layden, for like the last year, you've had a podcast there with Just Baseball called Outside the Box. And I know almost every episode you have this Guess the Jersey segment yeah. of it. Where So I have a version of that because I've seen the way that you remember stuff from your career and you seem to have a good understanding for trivia and all that. I was looking back on it and even though it's been what, like 15 years since you hung them up, there are still two pitchers that you faced as a big leaguer who are still pitching in the big leagues. Do you know who they are? Yikes. Wow. 15 years. Um, starters or relievers? Can you give me that? Yeah, they're both starters. Both they're starters. Both, okay. They're both starters back then. They're both still starters right now. Um, <clears throat> wow. Um, dang. Uh, I'm stumped. You got to give me. You got to give me a hint. Teams. Well, okay. One of them is with the Astros right now. That's a pretty big hint. Jeez, <clears throat> uh, Astros right now. Yeah. As a starter. As a starter. This is this is the pretty easy one. This is the one I, I felt pretty confident you would get. I'm the worst. <clears throat> I haven't watched much baseball. <laughs> You gotta help me. What is it? You don't remember facing Justin Verlander? Oh, yeah. In like, uh, very beginning. He must have been a rookie back then. Yeah, yeah, very beginning. With the Tigers. The trickier one is this must have been the final season in 2007. Rich Hill, when you were oh, wow. in Cincinnati, I guess in the same division with him for a couple months and you faced him a couple times, and he is still going along with the Red Sox and their wow. rotation right now. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy to think there are two people playing that uh, it's because it seems like an eternity ago that I was playing. So, right. pitchers, you know. Yeah, I, I'm surprised to find them. But that goes exactly where I was looking at next in terms of how it, it seems like uh, I was wondering how closely you do follow Major League Baseball these days. Obviously, how- you can tell not very, not very close. <laughs> I know Joey Votto was uh, just breaking in as a rookie when I was with the Reds um, my very last year. So, that's right. He's been there for a long, long time and, and doing quite well. Right, right. 
One other, aside from Major League Baseball, you probably know that the World Baseball Classic is coming to Miami next year. Have you heard about that? And I have heard about that. <laughs> because the interesting timing of it is that they just started that event right when your playing career was winding down in like 2006. And now finally having it come up, it, most of the games of the tournament are going to be in Miami this coming March, I think. So is, is that something that if it was kind of at its full peak during your career? Is that something that would have been a priority for you to try to play for that and represent your country? Absolutely. You know, um, <clears throat> when you are in Major League Baseball and, you know, back in the college days when when uh, amateur baseball was huge and the Olympics was going on with these, uh, they, they filled their teams with amateur college players. That would always been a dream of mine to go represent your country at the Olympics and or now the World Baseball Classic because there's nothing like putting on that USA uniform uh, just by observation. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. I've always uh, loved that. My dad was an Olympian. So right. um, if I couldn't have been a, a professional athlete, I would have loved to have picked a sport somewhere in one of the Olympics and, and tried for that. But um, <clears throat> you see the energy and the excitement that, that surrounds these World Baseball Classic games, especially from the Latin countries. And you know, we've been very excited to be a part of. Now, you have been at Lone Depot Park this year at least once, right at the start of the season, as part of hanging the banners, finally, the World Series banners up in the rafters that a lot of people have been clamoring for that. They felt that they needed that extra signal to celebrate was <laughs> in those two separate years, certainly the peaks of this Marlins organization back then. And we'll get into it in a little bit. While they had the 25th anniversary of the 97 team this season, you were out of town coaching FIU. And we'll get into that in, in a second. What I was wondering kind of related to this is that it's pretty easy to celebrate the guys who made it to the top and won it all. But you were part of most of the you were part of teams before 97 and after 03 with Marlins of guys who were really talented, really productive, but weren't part of those World Series teams. I'm curious if there are players weren't on those teams but you were teammates with with the marlins that you feel get a little overlooked historically that really jumped out to you that you feel like should be getting more love in hindsight for what they did as marlins yeah you know growing pains when we started off in 93 um obviously you're going through a new organization you've got kind of people plucked from all other different organizations to make your major league roster and we're kind of growing up and um in the organization we lost 98 games that first year were 64 and 98. And I think one of the, the uh, true stars of that team and a guy that facing him was one of the most uncomfortable at bats I've ever had was Brian Harvey. Um, you know, unfortunately, he had an arm injury the, the following year in, in 94, I believe, or 95. and never really made it back to that dominant force. But I don't know if people remember that uh, he saved 46 of our 64 games that first year in, in 2000 or in 1993. And I think it's still a record of percentage of saves as far as percentage of a team's wins for an entire season. He saved the most. So uh, one of the most devastating pitches, single pitches I think I've ever seen was that fork ball that he had. Um, and just an awesome dude. And I wish uh, he could have stayed healthy and lasted to, to see that through and in, into 97. Um, you know, and then obviously – Wayne Heisinger went out there and opened the pocketbook and we got some uh, studs going into to 97 that, that really propelled us to the World Series championship. And I think a lot of people don't don't realize how good we were after the 03 teams, 04 and 05. You know, we went out and got Carlos Delgado um, for one of those years. We got Paul LaDuca. I mean, we were stacked uh, and had really good chances 
to win both those years as well. We were right in it to the very end. Um, and you look at specific guys, uh, Todd Jones uh, had a remarkable closing season. Armando Benitez had a remarkable closing season. I think they both had – one had 51 saves, one had 47, I think. I mean, uh, if they weren't, you know, the role-age relief pitchers of the year, they should have been because they were they had remarkable seasons. And, you know, we just had that staff um, that, you know, A.J. Burnett wasn't on our – he was injured um, early on, but in 04 and 05, uh, he was a stud, you know, 05. He had one of the greatest stretches I've ever seen of about 10 games during the middle of the season where he was absolutely dominant. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of names that have come through the Marlins that have gone other words or to um, other organizations and, and done very well. So um, a lot of great names, a lot of great memories. You mentioned that even if you're not following the current major leagues right now, I'm sure you're following the minor leagues where your son, Griffin Conine, two years ago traded to the Marlins organization. And all he's done since then is he leads their minor league system by a wide margin in home runs. He leads them in RBIs. He's with AA Pensacola right now. 3-1, a swing and a high deep drive, left center towards the gap. Dean after it and gone! Light tower power to the opposite field for Griffin Conine. And so I have a few questions on him and how involved you are with his career um, at this point. How often do you talk during the season? Uh, what sort of things do you talk about in terms of trying to separate being a dad from wanting the best of his career and, and how that entire relationship plays out when he's a professional player who's getting pretty close to maybe realizing his dream? Yeah, you know, I think early on, um, I didn't want to be that dad that was all over him and, and made him play baseball. And um, I might have gone too far the other way as far as backing off and, and letting him make his own decisions, which he did. You know, he didn't even play baseball for a couple of years, was more into skateboarding than he was baseball. And uh, then he went to uh, Pinecrest in, in Fort Lauderdale, Pinecrest High School, and um, got a little spot playing time at the very end of his freshman year, made the team his sophomore year, but was you know, just an okay player. And, and people would ask me, you know, what do you think is in the future for Griffin? And I'm like, well, you know, he's really into it and kind of uh, maybe division two, maybe division three baseball. And well, that summer he had an awesome summer. Um, he grew up, got in the weight room, put on some weight, grew about four inches. Then all of a sudden he comes back for his junior year and just absolutely tears it up. And, you know, the, the bar got set much higher uh, that summer between his sophomore year and junior year. So, um, then he became a division one player. He went to Duke university and, you know, ever since then he's developed this, he's always had a, a beautiful swing, a beautiful power swing. He's never really tried to get the old, you know, launch angle stuff and just kind of naturally built into his swing. And what I've always talked to him about is more approach. Uh, I want to talk to him about his approach to at bats and how he constructs his at bats. What is he looking for, for certain pitches and for certain teams that is uh, more what I talk to nowadays uh, with him. And, you know, being a dad that's gone through it all and, and been through the Meyer Leagues, I know it's how hard it is. And it's tough sometimes to watch because when he struggles, I struggle, you know, and, right. and I know what he's going through. I know exactly how he's feeling. And so, but I try to be as positive as possible all the time. I just try to pick his brain and, and let him tell me how he's feeling. And then we can try and tweak stuff from there and I'll send him, uh, stuff that I might see here or there mechanically, but uh, more often than not, mechanics are messed up by 
an, uh, a flawed thought process. So that's where I've always concentrated. And, and uh, he's done a, a fantastic job. He's very analytical about the game and his swing and mechanics. And I try to get him more thinking on the mental side rather than the, the mechanical side. But uh, I couldn't be more proud of what he's become. Have you had an opportunity to speak with and get to know at all Kim Ang as a GM or any of her other top lieutenants on the player development side? How familiar are you are you with you know the people that are closest to him during the year, whether it's the coaches or whether it's those decision makers like that? Yeah, not familiar at all. Uh, he came up at the end of uh, last year for the ceremony at the end where they recognize all the MVPs uh, of each team and. Uh, he was the MVP for Beloit uh, last year, and I got to meet uh, Kim very briefly. Uh, we were up in the suite watching the game afterwards, and um, that's basically the only interaction I've had with her or anybody else in the in the new <laughs> Marlins organization that uh, is obviously a lot different than from when I was there. And Griff isn't alone. They've had um, some success stories on the minor league side in the last few years. I think what the frustration is for people like myself that follow the major league team every day uh, right now, for example, they're in this stretch where they're only scoring two, three runs a game, every single game is that they've had trouble with translating players from the upper minors to the majors, right? Even if they're performing down there, just making that last leap and being consistently good at the majors has been some of a challenge for them. So this is where I want to kind of draw on your experience because you've got a couple cups of coffee with the Royals back in 90. And I think in 92, before going to Miami in the expansion draft. And then as soon as the 93 season opened, you were the hottest hitter in baseball. Yeah. And it, it kind of stuck around for the most part, the, the next like 15 years, you know, you never had to worry about getting sent down. You kind of established yourself from there. I'm, I'm just fascinated by what clicked, whether it was late in the 92 year or at some point in 93 spring training, because that changed seemed to change everything for you and if the royals knew you know that they you had this in yourself back then they would have you know protected you you might not have ever been marlon i'm fascinated by what it is that unlocked that version of yourself in 93 well you know they say it's, it's tough to get to the major leagues but it's even tougher to stay so um minor leagues is all about development right you you go out there and they've got their top prospects that they watch and they follow and that's basically why the minor leagues exists is to play games for the prospects to get them um actual live at bats or actual live um batters to throw to so they can get practice to get to the major leagues so winning is not that much of a priority development is it's all about development they don't care if um you know you got a low average at that point. They're, they're trying to develop you to become a major league player. And they want progress, obviously. They want you to develop and get better every single year. But you've got time. But when you get to the big leagues, there is no time. The time is up, and it is time to perform. You have to perform now because winning is the only thing that's important in the major leagues. So a lot of guys struggle with that. They struggle with putting pressure on themselves when they get up to the major leagues. They start thinking about everything else that's outside the lines rather than what got them there? You know, they come in, they see obviously the travel and the big league clubhouse and the meal money and the fans and the social media and ESPN highlights. And now it's you're focused on like never before. And you're thinking, oh, geez, if I make an error, I might be on ESPN. Or if I strike out, they're going to boo me. Or So when guys start cluttering their thoughts with all that outside stuff that outside the lines, that's when they don't really realize their potential. And you know, when I went to big league spring training with the Marlins, I was comfortable. I was there from the very start. 
I knew I had a good chance to make the team and start in the outfield. So it's all about comfort. You know, I was comfortable and I was comfortable with my teammates and I, and I was comfortable with my game and I had confidence uh, going into that season. And I think that's all the difference in the world. And, you know, and four for four, the first day doesn't uh, do too badly and building up your confidence for the start of that year either. But, um, you know, it's a learning curve that in the major leagues, it's steep and you, you've got to learn quickly how to block out distractions and uh, focus on what's important. Yeah, hoping that other players with this team can feel the same way because we're in a stretch where the team, they finally called up all these different guys at the same time and they're getting everyday reps. And yeah, you would feel that if they had that right mindset that they'd be able to take advantage of this opportunity while uh, they have it. We're, of course, talking with Jeff Conine here on the Fish Stripes podcast. And there was one more particular thing I wanted to get into, which is about how you absolutely dominated against lefties, against lefty pitching. I mean, that's something you feel like at the end of your career, probably extended your career a little bit. But even during, at your very best, you were at, as good as anybody in baseball at destroying lefties. And for the Marlins right now at the major league level, that's been a weakness. As, as a team, they're hitting like 200 against lefties this entire year, which is very hard to do, <laughs> to struggle to at that extent. And it's been a lot of different guys in that situation. Swing and a miss, struck him out. That's a career-high 10 strikeouts for Cole Irvin as he makes quick work of Anderson. Got him swinging. 94-mile-an-hour fastball, 11 strikeouts in seven innings for the big left-hander Cole Irvin. He's been sensational. I'm just fascinated by what you think contributed to that. How much of that is just your vision and being able to natural gifts being able to see the ball well when you had the platoon advantage versus how much of that is actually teachable like is, are there certain things you worked on during your career that made you especially dangerous against lefties because the numbers are pretty amazing that you had in those matchups yeah you know what um there was nothing that i specifically targeted uh, for lefties i guess just the natural vision uh, of seeing the ball come from the other side coming toward you instead of um you know, the, the right-hander is, is you got to focus much further for me as a right-hander to the left and, and picking that ball up. So, um, yeah, I knew I, I hit lefties well. Um, I knew I was confident against, against lefties, and you're right. At the end of my career, I platooned a lot, so I only played against lefties the last few years that I, that I played. And because I had so much success the first few teen years, how many I, I had up until that point, it definitely uh, elongated my career. So, fastball driven to right field, pretty well hit too. How about this? Hasta la vista, baby! That's a three-run home run. And on two at bats, Jeff Conan has knocked in five runs. As a right-handed hitter, you know I was always told you get you got to dominate lefties, and I think even though I didn't specifically trained differently to, to face lefties. I knew in my mind that that's, hey, that's where I'm going to excel. That's where I've got to excel. And with the exception of a few pitchers, um, I, I enjoyed facing lefties. Who are the only guys that gave you trouble, you think, on the left side? I tell you, uh, Andy Pettit. Uh, I could not hit Andy Pettit for some reason. And another one that um, Tom Glavin was another one that really, I think, I might have the second worst batting average against any pitcher that I ever faced against Tom Glavin. And that's with, you know, significant at-bats. I hit Maddox well. I, I think I hit Smoltz fairly well, but but Glavin, I could not hit. That guy just frustrated the hell out of me, and uh, I ended up getting myself out a lot. <laughs> and this goes back to what you were doing just 
this past year or so at FIU as an associate coach over there. And from what I understand, you were working pretty closely with their hitters as well mm-hmm. um, to help them understand uh, a variety of things and get ready for like this next step in their careers. So we had some requests about people that were just interested in what when it, what happened during that experience. Uh, what did you take out of it? I remember listening how excited you were to be in that situation and being an opportunity to help young players like achieve the most out of themselves. Yeah, it was a, kind of a random occurrence. Uh, I talked to the then uh, athletic director, Pete Garcia, about something that was unrelated to anything at FIU. And toward the end of the conversation, He's, he asked me about coaching and I'm like, ah, oh, I thought he meant about in professional baseball and um, told him I didn't think I was really ready for that right now. And, uh, but he said, no, no, about college. I mean, we're 30 minutes from your house. We're right down here. And um, it intrigued me because my whole life has been baseball. I know nothing else to do in my life but baseball. So uh, here in my backyard, it's FIU, it's UM, it's the Marlins. That's, that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move to another state to coach college baseball, but this opportunity was given to me right here in my backyard, and I decided to go for it, and I was super excited to work with the young players. I love teaching the game. I love working with guys, especially uh, on their mental side of the game and trying to teach them the right way to play the game because right now I think in the big leagues, and you've seen or I've seen uh, kind of a, a degradation of skills that we haven't seen Base running, I think, in the big leagues right now is, is horrendous. And um, there's so much focus on power and hitting home runs that a lot of the in- intricacies of winning a baseball game have been lost. So I was very excited to teach that to the guys at FIU. And uh, I really enjoyed my experience there. But un- unfortunately, the, the coaches uh, that we had there, the coach, the head coach that we had there, we got to the end of his um, contract and, and they decided to make a change. And usually when you make a change at any level in baseball, big leagues, minor leagues, college, when the new coach comes in, he likes to bring his own people in. So right. uh, unfortunately, I was let go. And But, you know, I really enjoyed my experience there. And I love teaching. And, you know, that's what I'd like to do in the future. Now, as your Twitter bio says, you're just a guy looking for a job, right? Something, yeah. <laughs> something else in baseball, whether it's something specifically like that or anything related to it, right? Yeah, that's, you know, I'm always looking, always uh, throwing stuff out there to people that I know in in, uh, in baseball just to see um, what fits, what fits and where I go from here. This is from one of our followers. His name is Sean Millerick. He brought up the memory of the Conine Clubhouse and Grill. You remember that? Oh, yeah. It was a non-baseball business venture. He, he was telling me that it's the best. He says, he, he swears, this is the best cheesesteak he's ever had outside of Philly when he went there. And he was wondering about the history, the origin of that, how that came together, uh, what, what you learned from trying to operate what your involvement was with that restaurant? Well, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a restaurant tour. I wasn't. Uh, I've heard nightmare stories about people that get into the restaurant business and say it's one of the most difficult business to get into. So I got approached by a group that were actually kind of branding sports type restaurants. They started Eddie George's uh, in Tennessee. They came to me and wanted to put up a restaurant here in South Florida and call it uh, Jeff Conine's Grill and. I was all in because, you know, I got free food and uh, they had a, uh, uh, they called it the sky box, which is like a private room that we had events at and the food was excellent. Um, unfortunately, the group 
they had a, a major undertaking in re rehabbing the building that they were that they had taken over. It was an old Bennigan's. And uh, they put a lot more money into it than they thought they were going to have to to get it off the ground. It, it was pretty successful and did pretty well, but just not well enough for them to uh, continue. So they sold it to a guy that uh, didn't want my name on it anymore. So he kicked me out and uh, became like a bar, more of like a bar type place. And it was out of business within six months. And now it's a, it's a Mexican restaurant. It's been since then. It's been there for a long time. As a lot of people remember, up until about five years ago, an advisor with this Marlins organization, and at least from what we understand on the outside, you know, a lot of that it was nothing personal on you. It was just Derek Jeter coming in, one of his own guys involved with the organization. Fast forward to today, Jeter is gone, and you did mention that to this point you haven't gotten to know very well the new people in charge of the organization. But we did have a whole lot of fans bring this up out of the blue that if for whatever reason this organization, maybe even if it was a different organization as well, if they approach you about like doing something similar to what you had been doing uh, with the front office back in the day, is that something that you'd be interested in? Is that something you think is possible? You know, the fact that they've, it seems like very slowly things have smoothed over, right? Bring you back to the ballpark to hang up the banners and, and all that. Uh, is that something that if everything lines up right, you'd be interested in doing and you think is a possibility in the future? I mean, I don't know if it's a possibility, but of course I'd be interested. You know, this is my it's my backyard team. This is my hometown. Uh, we've made our home here now for 26 years, and uh, we've had a golf tournament for the uh, the hospital that's going on its 29th year. And um, you know, South Florida is home. And you know, you see all these little things behind me of all the teams that I played for. Um, but I always consider myself a Marlin. You know, we heard from the very beginning, and uh, I've got. Two World Series rings with this organization, and and uh, just a lifetime of phenomenal memories. So, even working for the team after I retired, you know, there's a lot of great things that happened. So, as my Twitter handle says, I'm looking for a job, and uh, I'd be open for conversation for sure. No, that's great to hear. Whatever's next for you, Jeff, we just hope you find fulfillment out there. You deserve it. Treat people right, and uh, obviously, your your playing career speaks for itself. What you did intangibly as a leader in the clubhouse people know all about that as well and we appreciate you coming on the pod this has been awesome my pleasure my pleasure you know i was my dad like, like i said was an olympic athlete and you know he always taught me that if you're going to do something you do it right you work hard and you be a good person at the same time and that's why i wanted to be in a clubhouse i just want to work my butt off and and uh be a good teammate awesome this has been the official show i'm eli sussman this is Jeff Kona, and obviously we just scratched the surface on a few things that we could talk about with him, and uh, we hope to talk to him again in the future as uh, going through what was one of the more special Marlins careers that there's ever been. And uh, coming up on the 30th anniversary of the franchise, I don't know if there's anything coming down the pike about that. I saw that there are some uh, like season ticket holders that received the special shirt about the 30th anniversary. Are you aware of any like festivities that they're doing particularly for that next year that you could be involved with? I have not been approached by anything or have not heard anything yet, but um, I can't believe it's been 30 years, man. That is absolutely crazy that uh, 30 years ago we started this team and uh, Charlie Huff threw that first pitch that was uh, a foot inside a ball and it, it was called a strike and, and the Marlins were born. It was, uh, seems like yesterday. 
Yeah, but I'm very much looking forward to it. It does seem like the team has stuff planned for that. Uh, as, as I mentioned up top, it's easy to celebrate the World Series winners as well, but there's been a lot before, in between, and after that that people have enjoyed uh, with yourself and otherwise. So that's something that I think a lot of people in this fan base have pushed for is just doing a better job at appreciating uh, the legends of this franchise. And you are relative to like everybody that has come through this organization. You're one of the legends, Jeff. So once again, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Eli. Appreciate it. Have a good time.